Welcome to ADHD is Over, a new podcast on a seemingly old label that we're going to be peeling off. Join my wife, Tatiana, and I as we journey with our family, the Wyden family, through the land of confusing information. We're going to visit both sides and let you decide because the power is with you. Welcome to ADHD is Over. Hello, hello, and welcome back to our podcast. Today, my guest is Jacqueline Way. Jacqueline is a dedicated world changer. Let me tell you that. Her sole purpose is to inspire and educate the hearts and minds of people globally to create a happy, meaningful life. She expresses her purpose through her charitable organization, 365 Give, created and inspired by her own son with a simple vision to change the world one give, one day at a time. Jacqueline is a world-renowned keynote speaker with one of the most watched TEDx talks, How to Be Happy Every Day, It Will Change the World. Every day, Jacqueline is committed to living the highest expression of who she is as a human being through her work and by touching the lives of others. I'm so inspired and honored to welcome my guest, Jacqueline Way. Hello, everyone. How are you? Doing fantastic. I'm so excited uh, to talk with you. You and I have connected on this new app called Wisdom before. It's perfect. It's perfect. perfect and you know, conversation today. Perfect. So perfect because if you combine wisdom with giving, with being, uh, and with uh, uh, what I call family transformation, it all makes sense. And that's why I'm excited to talk to you about all these things. And I'm going to start off with the Ga- my favorite Gandhi quote or my favorite quote is be the change you want to see in the world, right? And you are someone who is committed to making a difference, to uplifting people and bringing happiness to people. And you uh, yourself, uh, in your bio, as it says, you are uh, uh, basically committed to living the highest expression of who you are as a human being through your work and by touching the lives of others. Uh, So I just want to acknowledge you for that commitment in, in the world. That's high and huge. Well, I think it, when we all make the commitment to be our best versions of ourselves, um, it doesn't feel so hard, you know? I think we we get ourselves stuck in what we think everybody else expects, but when you're just true to who you are and who you are for yourself, it becomes really easy. Mm. And you started um, a um, organization called 365 Give, and this was not just your idea, but tell me how your son fits into this. I love it. Yeah. Well, you know, first of all, I want everybody to know it's my, uh, my three boys that are all adopted. Um, so it's kind of my, my fun parenting story. That's a little bit different. And all three of my boys have uh, neural differences, all diagnosed ADHD. I didn't know this about my son when we started this project. Um, and the really beautiful thing about adoption that not all parents do is, you know, it's a rigorous event. Um, becoming an adoptive parent before you actually get accepted to become an adoptive parent. You have to go through training and you have to go through um, questionnaires that last for weeks and weeks and weeks uh, with you and your spouse. Um, So you become really clear on uh, who you want to be as a parent, what kind of parent you might be, um, what your thoughts are around parenting, uh, all of those kind of things, which is great, kind of a marital course, but it's a, it's a pre-parenting course. And, you know, I, I think one of the key questions that was asked to me was, what are your expectations for your child? 
And it was interesting because my husband's and my, it was the one area my husband and I answers were different. And my answer was really simple. I wanted to grow a kind, compassionate, loving human being um, with no expectation that he be anybody. That was his choice, not mine. And so when my son came home, um, we were very blessed that he came home at 11 weeks old. And um, when he turned three and before preschool started and the school show started, um, I decided that I needed to start teaching him these lessons because what we know about children is that the biggest time of their brain development and growth is between zero and three. And those seeds that we plant in that age range will carry throughout their lives. And we may not remember them, but they're there. Those seeds have been planted. So I thought, okay, let's, let's get on with this. So on his third birthday, we decided we were going to do one thing to give back to the world every day for 365 days. Now, it's not like I hadn't been in the philanthropic world before. It was actually part of my life already. Um, my business was all around ra raising money for charitable organizations. So it was, it was part of who I was already. But, you know, how do you simplify that? Because not everybody can go around, you know, raising money for a living. Not everybody have, has millions of dollars to give. I mean, I was at a stage in my family's life, I didn't have $100 to give, <laughs> let alone uh, millions. But I thought, you know what, how can I teach this to my child with us not giving money? Because I didn't have the ability to give money at the time. How could I do this with my son and show him that we can do things around our neighborhood, around our lives that were very simple, um, that didn't take money? So we sat out. We were going to do one thing to give back to the world every day for 365 days. Um, and it didn't just have to be to people. Uh, it could be to animals. It could be to the planet as well. We included it all because what we know about kids is that when you say, you know, what can we do? Their first answer is usually I want to help animals, right? The kids have kind of an infinity of animals. And so, so we got going, um, you know, one of our first things was, is bring some old towels and blankets down to our local animal shelter. And we started there and we would volunteer, volunteer our time and just sit and play with the cats there as well. Um, and we would do that like once a week. We started doing that kind of activity once a week. When we'd go to the park, we'd pick up garbage. We'd go down to our seawall. I, I live in a beautiful place where we can walk to the ocean. We'd pick up garbage along the way. Um, we'd bake cookies for our neighbors. We'd help them with some gardening. You know, we did the little things every day. And um, it was really fun because we I decided to start a blog around it because that's what we did in those days before Instagram was do a blog. And, um, and it was really fun because people from around the world just started following and engaging with us. People in our local community got really interested, you know, newspaper stories, that kind of thing. And they loved what we were doing and, and it started to spread from there. Um, but here's the really cool part. You know, I didn't know my son had a neuro difference. Um, he has one of those uh, invisible disabilities, um, ADHD being one of many things. Uh, and, I didn't know the difference and it made no difference. And that little man's changed the world because of this journey together. And wow. I never saw him as anything but absolutely perfect. And how did you uh, find out that he was looked at, you know, from the point of view of society as different or as not neuronormal? Yeah. And you know what? It was really school. And it wasn't even until a little bit later in school until, you know, we got the first reading red flags in about, you know, grade two. So we got some extra reading support. Um, and really, we wouldn't have had my son fully diagnosed. We did end up doing a 
educational assessment because the school system, it takes so long to get them done. We had it done privately. And we learned he had a couple of uh, learning disabilities. At the time, I didn't think a lot of it, you know, because what most people say is, oh, he's a boy. You know, it's his boys. He's really active. He learns differently. He's he's a kinetic learner. So school isn't the best place for him. You know, all of the things that everybody says. Uh, nobody actually ever mentioned ADHD or anything else. It was just he's having a hard time learning. Um, I was obviously a little red flag just because I'm an adoptive parent, didn't know his history, et cetera, et cetera. It was like, okay, I'm seeing some red flags. Um, and then he started getting some pretty serious stress and anxiety uh, around school. Nowhere else in his life, just school. And um, then he, his little brother, who we also adopted um, as a baby, um, had some, again, not visual impairments, but by kindergarten was really suffering from some differences. I had been red flagged with ADHD with him already. And um, so I decided to go and get his little brother assessed. And in his assessment, my son uh, was instantly assessed because he has the facial features of a child with fetal alcohol syndrome disorder, which I did not know. I didn't know enough about it and nor was I qualified to assess facial features of a child with FASD. Um, so they were both diagnosed in the exact same breath. It was wow. awesome. Oh yeah. That's... And they both, both children with FASD, ADHD is just one of the many, it's almost a symptom of FASD. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Well, first of all, I acknowledge you for being a parent who is, uh, uh, you know, adopting children. I mean, that's a huge, uh, that's a, that's a huge heart and a huge patience. Uh, so I just wanted to acknowledge you for that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Well, they're really my gift. So yeah. you know, we're a gift to each other. Right, right. They are, they are gifts for sure. Yeah. I agree. And so, okay, so you had, and you have three total now, and they all they have do. been uh, diagnosed at some point with ADHD. They have, yes, and, my youngest uh, does not have an FASD diagnosis yet, but he does have a full ass ADHD diagnosis. Full ass, I love it. A full ass. You don't yeah. just have a half ass, he's no, full no. ass. He's, he's so obviously ADHD, you know, wow. you can't miss it. Now, these are, <laughs> but it's all good, he's brilliant in his own way. Are they two siblings and a different child or three siblings? They are, there are two um, birth two. siblings and my oldest is different birth mom. Yeah. So you said something very interesting and you said that essentially you discovered later in, in, in the lives of your new newly adopted children that there was a fetal alcohol syndrome, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, most likely that was because the, the mother was drinking, right? Is flat that out. sort of? Yeah. Not most likely, flat out. She was drinking yeah. while she was pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. Just in case and, anybody and out there isn't maybe. sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You and don't so, drink yeah. during pregnancy because it causes some brain damage to your child's brain doesn't matter if it's one drink or if it's 10 i suggest you just don't do any yeah yeah I'm and sorry that to me shout out there <laughs> no that's great i want i want parents to hear all of it you know and that you have experience with that and you don't you do. i don't hear this often right the combination of adhd and fetal uh, alcohol syndrome oh, for sure completely completely you know? tied together and that's you know when people say I can just have that one glass of red wine with dinner does not apply. I, I just wouldn't suggest it. It's just not worth the yeah. risk right. of what you may be doing because unfortunately even a glass of red wine at dinner every night while you're pregnant can mm. cause a difference. And that's all it is. So you can call it damage, but I just call it a difference. And it does um, change the way the neuroconnectors in the brain work together and alcohol does penetrate the fetus um, while in utero. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And here's the thing, during my research into ADHD for six to seven years almost, what we're getting to, what we're finding is what one thing that all the experts are pointing to. Well, I should say all the more open-minded experts are, are pointing to, and that is the effects of stress and trauma on a child's nervous mm -hmm. system. Oh, and obviously, <laughs> right, fetal alcohol syndrome being a major trauma, then I love what you said, a ADHD becomes almost a symptom. And I recently actually explored the idea of like, what if ADHD is actually a coping mechanism to avoid something, feeling something, right? And so it's kind of, we're in the similar ballpark there with like, it's not an end all kind of disorder that you have when you're born. It's not something you're born with. And even if you're born with it, it's not because God made a mistake. And I don't mean to take this religious, but there is some impact from the environment, whether it's the parents in the womb Absolutely. environment, right? And so how have you, um, as a family, what have you done to what I call remove or reduce the friction in the environment for, between the, your children and their environment? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, it's really interesting having kids um, on a spectrum and all on a different spectrum. Uh, you know, I've got one that is considered, you know, hyper ADHD. So he's the kid that bounces off the walls. He's the kid. And if you could see behind me, you would see I actually have a trampoline right in our living room <laughs> that just needs to be bouncing all of the time. Um, and then I have the other kid that needs to be in the blackout tent in his room because that's the best way for him to de-stimulate from the world around him and, mm -hmm. and you know, his is not hyper ADHD, but hypo. So he's like, he's more of the quiet, can't yeah. stay focused, you know, but also sensory disorder and lots of other things that go along with that. And I think that the really interesting thing is, is that you need to, as much as we need to understand ADHD and the brain difference that it creates, we also need to understand and look at all areas of the child life that's going to best suit them. So let's talk about school as an example, um, is that we know kids with ADHD tend to struggle in school and whether it's hypo or hyper because that um, need to stay focused and on task in a way that works for the teacher, not that works for the child. Yeah. Right. Not enough breaks, not enough moving, not doesn't have the ability to stand up in class which one of my kids had learned so much better when he's standing up. So a lot of the things that they need to um, regulate their bodies. And this is what most people don't understand is, is that regulation when their brains are dysregulated from their ADHD, they can no longer focus. They need to start to regulate their bodies. Cause that means that people think that their brains and their bodies are not attached. They're very much attached. So when the dysregulation starts in the brain, that carries all the way through the body. So how can we start to help regulate the body? And that's different for every child and how that works. For some children, it is. it's for one of my kids, it's let's get out of the classroom. We need a quiet space and we need to just regulate our bodies quietly for anywhere from 10 to 20 minutes. That's how long it takes. And that's a long time out of a classroom and on teacher standards to be out of a classroom, taking a brain break for 20 minutes. Uh, they struggle with that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But that's what some kids need. My other son, man, let him go outside and run for like five minutes 
he'd be good. Let him stand up and move his body at a standing desk in class. He'd be good. Let him sit on a ball and bounce while he's learning. He would be good. That's his form of regulation is moving his body. So it's first understanding what works best for your child. Now we've at home called it, we call it a happiness box. So that my kids start to understand that happiness is their regulation place where they're most regulated. Mm -hmm. And so all of my kids have different ways that we have learned for them regulates them. Sometimes, yeah, it's going sitting in the blackout tent. Sometimes it's sitting, reading quietly with mom. Sometimes it's listening to music. Sometimes it's moving our bodies. Um, sometimes, yeah, got to have 30 minutes on the TV. I mean, that's just the regulation. It's like, let me shut my brain off because it's going so fast. I just need to decompose a little bit. So it's how do you find those places? And for us, we just call it our happy place and let the kids help you build that box with you. Find those ways with them that work. You know, music is completely one for one of my kids. Um, but you need to find those tools that work for your children and work with them so that when you get to a dysregular place and when, when you've got three kids with ADHD, it can be chaos um, on levels all in the house. So it's it's finding those places and spots where they can find that zone and already knowing ahead of time what works. Um, and yeah, we use breathing methods and yeah, I've had to teach them that. And yeah, it's been hard and, but we can use all of those. So that's, that's what I say is talk to your kids, set them down, frame it in a different way. If you don't want to call it ADHD or use it that way, really they are mindful centered tools that every human being should have and know that they have. And your kids with a difference just force you to really look at that closely and go, hey, what works best for me, right? Meditation yeah. works best for me. Doesn't work so great for the kids right now, but we know breathing works for them. So find all those things that work for your child and, and make it a fun activity. Make them a happy box, you know? Um, what are the little cards you could put in it as a reminder? So before they're dysregulated, you know, you've already got that plan and it's planted in their brains. They're not stupid. They're not dumb. You know, they can remember these things, but how can you work on building that over a lifetime for them? Wow. The very unconventional way to look at education, Jacqueline, to treat the individual as an individual. Hmm. Mm, I know it's a funny thing, isn't it? Now, listen, we, I talk about this all the time, but here's the challenge goes is that we know teachers have 25 to 30 kids in their classroom. They don't have the support that they need. They don't have the ability to give every child individual care. They have to do it cookie cutter because they won't survive otherwise. That's the reality of the situation. My one kid that has only an ADHD diagnosis gets very little attention, even though I have a plan for him put in place at school, it's not considered a disability, ADHD, right? So we do as much as we can. And when he's struggling, I'll give him a day off school. I'll take him out early. Um, you know, I'll sit down and have a chat with him, with his teacher. I'll check in on a regular basis. And when I see him struggling a lot, I keep going back to the school. Guys, you're going to have to give him some breaks. You're going to have to give him some breaks. I don't care. You're going to have to give him some breaks. If I could get my kid a full disability diagnosis, people are going to think I'm nuts. I would in a second because then I get to create the educational system any way that works for him. Yeah. So, you know, for me, the sooner I can get him a disability for school, for the rest of his life, for his schooling career, would be great. Then he's got support. Then he can get out of the classroom. Then he doesn't have to do maybe as much work as everybody does. He's given more quiet time. He's given more time to get his work done so he can focus. I mean, it keeps going. 
But you're saying you can't currently, you can't. Currently I can't with an AD, only an ADHD diagnosis. So I can't do not... that. But with my other two that have disability diagnosis, they have an EA at their school, right? So they have an individual person who takes care and oversees um, their learning at school. They get breaks whenever they need them. Um, I do only half days with one of my kids. Um, you know, we, they only do half the work at school. They don't have to do all of the work. We get to choose what classes we get to take. You know, my kids don't do French. My kids um, may or may not do music because it's so dysregulating for their brains. Um, you know, my kid who's in high school right now, we're not going to get a traditional high school diploma. Don't care. And I'm good with it. You know, it's not yeah. going to serve him in the way that's going to best support his ability. And instead, the school system supports and focuses on his disability. So I'm just doing it completely different. I don't, I don't care if they don't get a high school diploma. I just don't. I, I love your stand and I feel there's a confidence, but really more of a trust uh, in life in general that in the future they will find their own way and they'll find their happiness and, you know. I trust them, right? I, I trust them that they will find their path if I allow them to find their path. And the problem is, is that the school system doesn't really allow that. It makes them feel stupid most of the time. Um, so instead, I'm allowing them to choose their path. Um, I encourage that path. We find different ways. I mean, my son, when he started grade eight, we already had him an internship job at a bike shop because that's what nice. he wants to do. He wants to work in a bike shop. He's so clear on that. So we've already got that going on as one of his credited courses at school, you know, that's which great. was unheard of. But we, the system can change. And it can be done differently um, when you realize that our kids are so, so smart and we yeah. give them that ability to fly in the directions and try as many things as they want to or can. And also not, I mean, my kids are very clear. They won't do camps. They won't do lessons. They're not right for them, but they'll go out and try all kinds of stuff and just find what works for them. Right. And in, in a way that works for them as well. Well, I think the education system, and when I was speaking with Stephen Porges, um, the, the inventor of the polyvagal theory, he told me, he said, school or education is an evaluation system. And kids are already always feeling evaluated in life. You know, constantly we're evaluating them. We're judging them for, are they fast enough? Are they tall enough? Are they, can they speak? Are they reading soon enough? You know, all this evaluation. Then you can go they memorize school. enough. Yeah. Can they memorize mm -hmm. enough? Can they spit it back oh. out when they need it? Right. Yeah. And he said that alone is a trauma. That's a stressor yeah. on their nervous system. So if you have a child like your children who already have had traumas and stressors, whose That's brains right. are wired differently, to be stuck in a traditional educational system without having a parent like yourself who aids them to go through it and sort of go a customized plan would be destructive. It would yeah. be. No, I've bad seen thing. it. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I've had to apologize and I continue to apologize to my oldest that I didn't know and I didn't see it and I didn't know what to do differently. You know, he suffered for three years to the point of by the time he was in grade seven elementary school. Um, he suffered from so much anxiety and stress. He didn't even, I mean, he missed like 80 days of school. It yeah. just wasn't working. And so I said, okay, let's just not go. Let's go snowboarding instead. Let's, you know, go do something else instead. Life, life school. Completely and totally. And, and the reality is, is your kid's not going to fail elementary school because elementary school won't allow it. 
because it costs them money if your kid fails elementary school. <laughs> if they have to do another grade, it costs them money and they don't wanna see that happen. So the reality is, is they will keep changing the system and keep changing the system until they can push them through. And that's what people need to know about the system and, and with children with, with differences is that it does not serve the system to hold your child back. It's a black mark on the record and it costs them money. So I know for my kids, if we ever chose that route, I can hold them back once. I can choose that as a parent to hold them back once. I actually won't ever choose it. I won't ever choose to hold them back. It will not serve them uh, to redo any of it. Uh, it will only cause them more stress. They lose their social connection, which is the reason I send my kids to school. Uh, and I don't right. homeschool. First of all, I'm very clear. I'm not a homeschool parent. I'm just not that person. I have tried it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for me and it doesn't work for them. And so I'm good with that. So instead I was like, okay, I can homeschool, but man, I'm going to manipulate this system to the best of my ability until it works for my kid. And so that's what nice. I chose to do instead. And, and it's worked. Wow. Well, I commend you for that. That certainly takes a, a, a bit of, um, well, energy, time. Oh my God, stress. Passion, stress. <laughs> exactly. Stress. Glass of wine. <laughs> yeah. Two years of hardcore, in your face, tears and screaming and yelling profanity at teachers. <laughs> stress. Wow. Well, I mean, your, your they kids just know better. They, it's just not worth the fight with me anymore. And so they know better now. It's not worth it. So they just avoid me. <laughs> That's awesome. Oh, here she comes. Yes, crazy here she comes. Crazy Go, just say yes. Whatever. Right. She just say yes. We're good. Well, I have a couple more questions for you. So for you, is ADHD a disorder for you or what is ADHD mm -hmm. for you? You know, I look at my children uh, as blessings they have differences i think that the children that have differences in our world show us a different way to do business they show us a different way to do school in a way it should be done with with more individual understanding and opportunities for kids to learn in a way that works for them i love that my children show the school system it can be done differently um they, they see things in the world that other people don't see and other children don't see. And that is the greatest gift that they give to the world because that in itself, and I think every child with a neural difference makes, makes individual parents. So for myself, they've made me um, see everything differently. And in that and every time I keep sharing that with the world, it keeps changing everything. So they've taught me unconditional love, literally, and not only for them, but for myself. And when you've got that for yourself, everything starts to change around you. And same with those kids. If I can teach the, my children that beautiful sense of love for themselves, they will spread that and take that out to the world in our practice and in our giving practice with 365 Give and the work that we do in the world and how we teach other children. I mean, our programs now in 450 schools across the globe, but every time that that beautiful light that my son started in the world spreads to other people and in the work that we do, we effectively keep changing the world because every time you change one person or you 
get people to look at the world differently or interact with the world differently in a positive way, that just effectively keeps changing everything. So for me, if my children and their difference get other people to look with compassion and look with love and look at the world in service to the children around all over the world, then beautiful. Then they've created a great service to the world. That's great. Do I think it exists or it doesn't exist? I think that scientifically we can look at it and say, yes, there is a difference in their brains, whether we like it or not. So structurally, is there a difference in their brains? Yes, it has shown that ADHD brains are structurally different. Does that mean that they're not brilliant? To me, it just means they have gifts that I do not have that they're going to bring to the world. And so that's the way that I, I just look at it is, thank God they're different. Um, and I do thank the angels and the gods that they're different because they're going to bring something different to the world that other people don't. And I wouldn't want my kids to be normal. I'm not. And I'm really glad that they're not as well. Um, and so that, I see it as a gift one way or another. Um, we're all different in our own ways. We're as different as our fingerprint is. And it's just that is the world now just catching up to what these beautiful children are. And the more children that are labeled ADHD in our world, we just got to catch up to them. Um, yeah, because, I, yeah, I love that. Just, yeah, interacting you know with made, the world differently. Yeah, and you know what, what you made me think of is recently I was talking to uh, someone around ADHD, which is, I do that daily, obviously, but exactly. it's, we were talking about how if you took all the people that have been diagnosed uh, with ADHD, then all the ones that are undiagnosed, then there's still some that are just not sure, right? Then you take all the other neurodiverse children, autism, Asperger's, dyslexia, and so forth. And you look at the percentage of that, I think we've already reached a tipping point where it's now being normal is actually the minority. I believe that neurodiversity is past 50%. Uh, you know, even if I think it's like 11 or uh, forgot what, it, what the number is of children diagnosed with ADHD, but that number is so underreported that, and if you add all the neurodiverse children or human beings on this planet, I think the tipping point has already happened. I think you know that's what? the Here's new normal. The thing. They just did a study on FASD alone. They're saying one in five human beings have FASD and we just don't know it. Mm, you know, one in five, one in five children have FA, a form of FASD, yeah. Uh, yeah. fetal alcohol syndrome disorder that is completely and totally unreported or is diagnosed as ADHD or something else with, you know, OODD or any of the other, you know, labels that we give them. Yeah. And, you know, there is that tipping point. And we're seeing this now and in, in the larger companies, you know, Microsoft specifically has a team of a team within their, their company that hires, you know, kids with autism because they see things so differently and can function at a completely, totally different level. Yeah. That's perfect for technology. And so is that, you know, is it really a difference or are us normal people going to be the ones that are actually really different? Right? Absolutely. And and is it possible that the norm that we've created, the people that call themselves normal, right, that we're, we're sort of like cookie cutter formed in a box in the educational system, right? And later they got their careers and jobs and now they want to retire, sort of the norm, right? 
was that simply just a construct, a human construct that came from the fear of allowing our uniqueness to shine through and for people to be less controllable, but more individual, right? That's, I think that's what we're seeing now. And, you know, you and I have had this conversation before as well. You know, I am, I am the parent that doesn't medicate either. You know, we haven't, we've gone every other natural route. I have had no need to, I don't want to say no need, it's just, there's alternative routes, you know, yeah. to looking at, and I'm not saying I'm not anti-med by any means. If there was ever a time, you know, that my children decided they wanted to try an alternative route, but we have tried every alternative route that there is. We have found the things that work. And most of all, we've accommodated for their life so that it works best for them. And I think that's the big thing because, you know, when the kids were all diagnosed, they're all like, okay, let's talk meds. And I'm like, no, let's not talk meds. I'm not interested. <laughs> I said, let's see what accommodations we can make in their lives to best suit who they are, mm. you know, yeah. and that's what we've done. And then we've gone and worked at a cellular level to literally remove and change their DNA and, and cellular makeup um, with a naturopath so that it can change. And we've seen those like dramatic changes in all the kids, not that they don't have learning disabilities anymore or anything else. It's not like, but you know, we don't, we don't need anything to calm them down anymore. They're much more regulated. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're not having the 45 minute or hour and a half traumatic meltdowns and anxiety hits and everything else, you know? So yeah. there's lots of ways you can go. Absolutely. That don't require medication. And we're seeing this right now with neurofeedback with our son. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The neurofeedback. You know, yeah. We had done this a while back and wasn't showing too much. And then we just trusted again. We met someone new and our son was doing it. And we would see things pop up the next day and go, oh, my God, this just happened. And then that night during a session, we would tell her and she would say, oh, well, that's that's why. You know, and for us, it was like, what's happening? Why is he so calm? Why is he suddenly today? So I hate to say respectful, but our son can be very selfish and very much like me, 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 me. Right. Oh, yeah. And suddenly he's all like, hey, yeah. And I was one of those and I'm learning empathy now. I'm learning to be there for others. And it, it's a process. It takes time. It, not every seven-year-old is going gonna, is gonna to already show these, these uh, virtues of, of good and respectful and empathy. Right. We've all been through different things. Hey, the way that I always say, if my, if the teachers at least say that my kind, my kids are kind, considerate little human beings, I'm good. I know they're not always going to be that at home, but as long as everybody else is saying that about them, I'm done. I'm good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Go to the world and be good. Even if you're a pain in my ass at home, go to the world right. and be good. Right. Yeah. And yeah. look, I think it's the pain in the asses that are really changing the world because to, to be able to change the current structures, you have to be a pain in the ass and chip away at what we say it's working when really it's not working. And, you know, you look at a Elon Musk, right, who's on the spectrum. Uh, uh, he, he was basically chipping away on automotive and space exploration. And everybody was like, you're crazy. You're crazy. Absolutely. But guess what? He wasn't crazy. Yeah, he's crazy. But he knew something had to change. Yeah. You know? And you know what? And I see that across with all of our, our children. I mean, the reality of COVID and the reality of the stress and anxiety that an entire generation is going through. And that's even prior to COVID. You know, I, I talked about that in my yeah. TED talk. I mean, anxiety and stress is literally our world's pandemic that we are finally just catching up to. It's been our world's pandemic for years and years. Yeah. And 
you know, COVID has shine a, shone a light on it. And unfortunately, not only is it shone a light on it, but it has increased the stress and anxiety uh, and trauma in our children. For those children, I mean, I lived, I was blessed. We lived in a place where school really, it was shut down for like six weeks and that was it. Maybe not even that. So my kids never had the COVID experience other than wearing masks and washing your hands a lot, but they weren't shut down at home like so many of the other kids were, you know, around the world. And I see it even on with relatives who live on the other side of Canada than I do, their stress and anxiety levels and like trigger point is so different than where we are. And so I can just imagine, you know, I worked with, um, somebody in India who was delivering, we called them happy boxes to children in India because they had literally been locked in their homes for a year and a half. You know, children in India, no school, most of them no access to internet, not being able to participate in the school, schools that were able to do teachings online. And these kids were just, I mean, they were locked in with their parents, right? I mean, talk about who's going to kill each other first. Right. And so we, we started, we started doing this thing called delivering happy boxes where they were at least filled with some stimulating toys and some musical instruments and things that they could do because the kids are all just suffering so much. And that's now going to be a generation of children, the COVID babies, right? The COVID kids, Yeah. you know, who, who for two years were locked down in their homes and we're going to see that. I mean, it's going to be a thing and it's not just going to be a thing for our, for these children but their children as well. Yeah. And my belief, and I'm, I'm sort of uh, crystallizing it for myself. I have been for the last few days really thinking about it, that I believe that all the stress and anxiety, not just from COVID, but before, it's all related to our fear of death. And I, I could take this to a spiritual level, yeah. but yeah. it really is a, a fear of death, which means we've uh, severed uh, uh, the connection between ourselves on this planet and our spirits, right? I believe we're spiritual beings, we're spirits here experiencing life on this planet. And I feel like all this stress and anxiety goes back to, I don't have any money, I'm going to die, I'm going to starve. And look, they're all valid concerns. But if you just sort of zoom out and say, hey, guys, um, we need to actually learn how to love to live like we, we, or love life. Right. And I think what you were saying with your 365 give, it's like one day at a time you give, you bring happiness to yourself. And in that moment, you don't fear death. You don't think of disappearing from the planet. You're actually in the moment living life now. No, it's, you know, I, I always say, and it's kind of been my, it's my thing with giving is giving is love and action. And Mm. I truly believe that at the heart of every single human being, every religion, every culture, every age, the common thread that runs through every human being is love, right? Yeah. We all experience it, whether you have spiritual, religious beliefs or not, we all experience love in our life. And when we all understand that beautiful common thread that runs through us all and that you can actually give love, through this human experience, which is action, right? Giving action from your hands or the ability to to give is literally love and action. And when we understand that, and if seven and a half billion people in their own way, in their own space, in whatever part of the world that they live in, no matter what their age, because we know it's so simple. I've done this with two-year-olds. 
science has been researchers has researched two-year-olds that do this automatically that that's when the whole world change changes instantly right if everybody started giving in small ways every single day everything would change because then we have love in motion yeah uh, energetically uh, physically and when we put it out to the world it comes back and it literally does and science proves this to us because when you give the chemical reaction that happens in your body something called oxytocin and that is love yeah. Um, that's science's way of explaining love. And what we know is that the energy that comes off of our hearts and oxytocin is fired and wired um, through our brains and through our hearts is our hearts give off more energy than any other physical energy than any other part of our body. They've measured it. Mm. And that's really all we have to do. That's cool. We give love every day between the energy that comes off our hearts and the understanding that it fires and wires through our brains and our bodies. We feel love. The person we're giving to feels love. The energy that comes off of both of us is love. And that's it. We just changed yeah. the world. You know, I recently, that's, that's amazing. I, I totally agree. And I recently came across a study that was exploring how, and it was, this was on the National Institute of Health website, for better or for worse. But she was, this doctor was, was basically saying, when there's nurture and love coming from a parent, the level of oxytocin increases in the child. Now, the level of oxytocin was also directly related to dopamine, which is important for ADHD. So mm -hmm. therefore, what then they did is they did a study actually with autistic children. They gave them a, a nasal spray with oxytocin and they realized their symptoms were starting to to lower or dissolve, whatever you want to call it. So I'm all with you, like oxytocin, when there's a lack of love and a lack of nurture and a lack of oxytocin, dopamine levels are going to have uh, issues. And now we see children with what I call the coping mechanism of like, oh my God, I'm not safe. Uh, I'm stressed. My parents are stressed. There's been trauma. What do I do? I can't learn. Ah, you know, so it makes sense to me that we would then head into a disordered direction if there's no love. Yeah, no, completely. And it's, you know, I mean, in, we were going to talk about this a little bit as well. You know, I, I call giving your daily dose of happiness. And I didn't even know this about my kids, but, you know, with my kids, um, their dopamine levels are completely out of whack um, because of the, um, the addiction they were born into. And, you know, that's, it's like a, a smoker, right? You completely throw your dopamine levels off, or if you have any addictions whatsoever, your whole dopamine system is thrown off because of the addiction and how you feed that chemical reaction in your body with, whether it's drugs, cigarettes, um, food, even exercise, it's all of those things. Yep. Um, and so the really cool thing about giving, as we call it, your daily dose of happiness, because it actually is the one thing that fires and wires all of those at the same time. So the daily dose part stands for dose dopamine, oxytocin, serotonin, neuroendorphins. And science can actually pr prove that all of those things fire and wire at the same time. They're all connected. And so, you know, when we look at our neurodifferent brains um, and how all the chemicals fire and wire, this gives them like, this gives them that little bit of all of it, right? You get all of it in that hit. Um, which is beautiful. And it doesn't matter if they're neurodifferent or you're not neurodifferent. You know, it's something that everybody can do to create that 
balance and at the same time is actually lowering their cortisol and cortisol is our stress response, our our stress hormone. So while you're getting your daily dose of of happiness when you're giving in your little ways, at the same time, your stress, your trauma response is lowering at the same time. And what we know about cortisol right now, you know, we all use this term, it it causes disease in our body, dis-ease. Our bodies are at dis-ease when we're always constantly having cortisol going through our bodies. Cortisol was meant for one thing, fight or flight. When we were cave people, it was either you're gonna stand and fight for your life or you were gonna run for your life, right? Right, That's how you stayed alive. Do we still need that? Of course, we still need that in, in some respects in our life. But do we need cortisol running through our bodies at a high level at that fight or flight state all of the time? We don't, but unfortunately we are. And that's our challenge. So how do we start to understand how to get those good feeling hormones and neurotransmitters up and get our cortisol levels down? And that's the big one that we are teaching right now because people need to understand how we can fire and wire our own brains, literally switch on the happiness switch in our body, the love switch in our body and get our stress down so that we aren't suffering from disease and that our brains, you know, our brains don't work when we are in stress. And most people don't realize that as well. I mean, it's, it's such a simple concept that I explain to my children, right? You've got your thinking part of your brain, got your emotional part of your brain. That's how I describe it to my kids. And when your emotional side of your brain isn't intact, you are out of whack, you flip your lid and you're no longer thinking properly because your prefrontal cortex is no longer, I don't want to say it's not attached, it's still attached, but it literally feels like you have flipped your lid. And so that part of your brain doesn't work so well anymore, right? Right. Because you're thinking from, you're working from your emotional side of your body, no longer the thinking part of your brain. Yeah, That's my easy short version for people who haven't learned that yet. I'm not a neuroscientist. I don't claim to have it right, but I've I've taught myself enough. So I understand the basics and I teach kids this stuff too. So they understand what's going on for them as well. And this isn't just for non-neurotypical kids. This is for us all. So you didn't know why you're in a state of anger or stress and you can't think straight. That's why, because this part of your brain has taken over and you have flipped your lid and your brain's no longer working at the part where it's thinking straight. Exactly. And I actually can back that up through uh, a Nadine, uh, Burke Harris, who's the uh, um, Surgeon General of California, she said in a TED talk, she, and we have this as part of our film, that, uh, you know, when a child has trauma or stresses in their lives, their prefrontal cortex at that time in life can only do one thing at a time. It can't learn algebra and trying to process a nasty divorce at home. Mm-hmm. It, it can't. And so in other words, when ch- children with ADHD look out the window, see a squirrel, or they can't they can't focus on a subject at school. It's not that there's a deficit of attention. It's that the attention in that moment is requested by a part of the brain because of what they're dealing with. You know, it's a different, it's a different experience, but yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that. And it's perfect because it's a different perspective and a different way of looking at it. Right. So when you look at it from that 360 view of all of the information, then you start to look at your child differently and you're going, Oh, this isn't behavior. You know, they're not acting up or being not nice right. or little know, assholes that we always think, we always think <laughs> behavior, right? Yeah. And it's yeah. not behavior. It's just their difference. And so then you start to look at your child differently and go, okay, I know this is, this is ADHD. I have to, how do I look at this differently? How do I look at this differently? So rather than yelling and screaming at them, you know, telling them what a rotten, stupid child they are, 
You know, instead you're going, okay, how do I come from this in a place of love and understanding? How do I have myself so informed and so full of knowledge about this that I can best help them? And it's not even going to help them when they're a child, but it will then help them as an adult because this doesn't go away. Their brain's not going to change. But how can you teach them the coping mechanisms through, first of all, self-regulation for ourselves? And then how do you help them regulate? Your child will regulate through you. And it's actually therapy I've done with one of my kids that when I'm regulated, everybody's regulated in my family. When I'm not regulated and I'm yelling and screaming, everybody's sideways. If I'm stressed, everybody is stressed in my family. I have tried and tested this over and over and over again. Yeah, there we go. Family will regulate to your own energy and that goes along with your spouse, right? If you're both stressed out and freaked out, you're not getting along, right? And then your kids are picking up on that energy and everybody's going sideways. It just exacerbates the problem. Exactly. And that's exactly what my wife and I are going through. That's what we're actually uh, not teaching, but that's what we're sharing with with parents is that it starts with us, the parents, because we're the the master of the domain called environment for our children, right? Until they move out or if they're raised by someone else, then that that adult, those adults are. But we are really the ones that if we're co-regulated, if we calm our nervous systems down by just mere sharing of energy in the space, theirs will too. Yeah, no, completely. And I, and I, I um, say to parents, go give it a try. Give it a try. Get yourself whatever you need to do, happy, regulated, calm, even if it's just for a day. Try it for a day or two days and you'll see, start to see the shift in your entire family because you're talking to your different, your children differently. You are more loving. You're more caring. You're and even if you don't have the time, we know time is a big constraint with parents these days in so many areas that even if you're just speaking with them differently um, and, and the tone of your voice is different and you're calmer yourself, you'll see that shift in your house right away. Yeah, no, I love it. And now you, your TED Talk last time when I was listening, it had like 6 million plus views, right? So first of all, congratulations. Um, I recommend to anybody listening here to go check out Jacqueline's uh, TED Talk. There's going to be a link in the show notes. Um, why do you think 6 million people or most of them emailed it to each other and said, you have to listen to this? I know it's a bit crazy. You know, I honestly, my answer is always, it was on the wings of angels. <laughs> it's I, I'm not sure I can explain that phenomenon. I'm, I'm not sure why, you know, what I know for sure is that the keywords in there, which I didn't even know were keywords at the time, how to be happy every day is that how to be happy is Google searched so often every single day because people are looking for the answer. And that's what we know for sure, is that people are trying everything they possibly can to be who they are supposed to naturally be, which is happy. And I use the word happy versus joy or love because I think, first of all, joy is a term that is used a little bit more in the Eastern um, philosophies and traditions. What we know is that happy, the word happy or happiness is something that everybody understands. People even use the word love and get a little confused by that one sometimes. So I use the word happy or happiness because it's something that everybody wants, you know, and my middle son, who is the one who has so deeply taught me about understanding regulation and and how to go from like, like complete and total, literally lose your mind state of 
convulsions almost with stress and anxiety. And he taught me this, this beautiful lesson one summer when we were really working on his regulation and how to get him from a place of, I can't function in society to how can I just, just calm down? And so we used to do it one smile, literally one smile at a time. And sometimes it would be really quickly, we could put those together. And sometimes it would take us a long period of time, but it's, it's a phrase I use all the time. And happiness comes one smile at a time, moment by moment to create a beautiful life. And that's what we always have to remember is that happiness is a moment by moment experience. It can ebb and flow and it comes and flows, but what we know is the world is searching for it right now. There's a reason there's a World Happiness Day. <laughs> there is a reason we're talking about mental health so much and well-being and understanding those pillars um, because it's the search everyone is doing. And we've all heard the term, you know, happiness comes from the inside out. You know, I think the beauty of my children is they have, literally taught me that beautiful lesson is that it does come from the inside out it comes physically from regulating ourselves and understanding how that works but it also comes from understanding how you can turn on that happiness switch for yourself in your life um, and when you start to do that then things get a lot more peaceful you know mm -hmm. and to me happiness is not the going out and buying a new pair of shoes now it's how do I find peace and in that peace just find this beautiful underlining happiness all the time. And that's the struggle we're in right now and people are looking for it. So the phenomenon, the phenomena is, is that there's over a billion people on our planet trying to figure it out. And so the fact that yeah. only 6 million have watched it, you know, we need, a, we need a lot more too still. Yeah. Well, please go listen to and watch uh, Jacqueline's talk on, on TEDx. I will again, post a link. I think it's very important that we find something that's simple to us in our lives, right? Because we often get overwhelmed with like, I got to do this, I got to do that. And I should do sauna and I should do yoga and I should breathe and I should get a coach. And I like, it's overwhelming, right? But if you can hang, like grab one thing that's you can do daily is what I'm hearing here. There's a yes. simple thing you can do daily, then perhaps happiness is a little less out of reach than we think, right? Absolutely. It is beautiful. You know, and that's what I learned, you know, after 365 days of giving, it's, it's what I learned for myself is that, you know, we think giving's on the outside of ourselves, but it is on the inside of ourselves. But when we become hmm, the givers of happiness, and that's what giving is, it's the giving of happiness to those around us. It's the greatest reward. It gives our life, life meaning and purpose when we can't quite find it. You no longer feel like you have to go out and have the job like an Oprah Winfrey that, you know, has all of that purpose and, you know, whatever it is and follow your path. You know, you can find purpose and meaning in the small things in your life every day. And when we give love and happiness to others, that's that's just the beginning of what will flow to you. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, I just want to wrap up by acknowledging you that if someone like you, right, mother, wife, entrepreneur, power woman to sum it all up can find happiness daily with having three children that let's just face it in our society's agreement are difficult to be with um, not difficult because they're not nice people but you have extra patience energy uh, and so forth that you need to make it through the day or to create the life you love if you can do that and can find do something, can do right? <laughs> anybody can, or, or no one, you know, no one should say, well, 
uh, I can't do it because I, can't do I, that. I can't be that. You know what? People say that all the time to me, right? I got a TED talk that's got whatever, 6 million views. If they had possibly seen what I went through to get that TED talk done and written, and I had three little babies at the time and on the knee, on my knees, crying in stress and anxiety to get where I needed to get to, you know, with that talk and, yeah, and get yeah. it done and everything else. Chaos. It was complete chaos. It was that's called chaos. being you unstoppable. Know, I wish I'd done the behind the scenes. It's like I wish right. you could all see us behind right. the scenes. No, but that's that's called being unstoppable, pretty. right? You were you were not being reasonable, like coming up with reasons why you couldn't do it. You were being unreasonable, unstoppable, oh and you God. did it. Yeah. And look at the I, difference. I only quit so that my kid I only didn't quit because I couldn't let my son see me quit. Because mm. if I quit. He was watching me go through this and they all, you know, my oldest was old enough at that point. And I'm like, I'm not going to quit because if I quit, I'm showing you that you can just walk away from the really hard stuff. Mm. I said, I'm going to do this no matter what. I said, fail. One person watches. Doesn't matter. I said, this was ours and this is our story. And I want you to know it forever. I said, and I can't quit our story because I believe in our story. Oh. And, a, and that was a, it. And it showed him that no matter how, how hard things get, and he saw me in those tears, you know? Mm. You got to go no matter what. And that's how their lives are going to be for them at times. There's going to be things that are going to feel really, really hard, you know, and we just got to sometimes find a different way around to make it happen. Yeah. Well, that's beautiful. Jacqueline, I, I appreciate our time together. Thank you for making time to be here on this podcast and for sharing your experiences. And uh, again, I'm so inspired by who you are th such that your, your children will get to carve out their own path. They will get to unfold, be the unique beings they are. Yes, they will have struggles. Yes, there will be people pointing fingers at times, but you know what? You're raising three boys that are going to say, hey, that's who I am. Absolutely. You know, that's so. all I can hope for in this lifetime. There we go. Well, thank you, Jacqueline. We're going to do a follow up me. sometime. And uh, we will. Anytime. Was, you know what? Things will grow and change. Let me tell you. It was great having you on. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing and all the information that you're giving parents and and people that are struggling to find the answers themselves and know that you're not alone. And um, we're all just trying to figure it out, you know, every day and um, find the peace within yourself first.